Greetings, friends. It's April 28th. This is the One Year Bible Tour, and my name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher here at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts. Are you ready to set out on today's excursion through the Old and New Testament narratives? We're trusting that the Holy Spirit will speak to us and lead us into the truth as it is in Christ Jesus while we take in the sights. We will witness the death of Gideon in the Old Testament book of Judges, and we will witness the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the New Testament gospel according to Luke. I count it a joy to be reading with you from the Bible each day and serving as a tour guide, pointing out highlights from our daily portion of the Old and New Testaments while making brief stops to read from the Bible's praise songs in the book of Psalms and partake of wisdom nuggets in the book of Proverbs. Today we continue to glean many applicable lessons as we finish up the account of Gideon in the book of Judges. We are in Judges chapter 8, verse 18, and we'll read through to chapter 9, verse 21. And this year, as you may have noticed, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Judges chapter 8, verse 18. Then he said to Zeba and Zalmunna, Where are the men whom you killed at Tabor? They answered, As you are, so were they. Every one of them resembled the son of a king. And he said, They were my brothers, the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had saved them alive, I would not kill you. So he said to Jether his firstborn, Rise and kill them. But the young man did not draw his sword, for he was afraid, because he was still a young man. Then Zeba and Zalmunna said, Rise yourself and fall upon us, for as the man is, so is his strength. And Gideon arose and killed Zeba and Zalmunna, and he took the crescent ornaments that were on the necks of their camels. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And Gideon said to them, Let me make a request of you. Every one of you give me the earrings from his spoil. For they had golden earrings, because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak, and every man threw in it the earrings of his spoil. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was one thousand seven hundred shekels of gold, besides the crescent ornaments, and the pendants, and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian, and besides the collars that were around the necks of their camels. And Gideon made an ephod of it, and put it in his city, in Ophrah. And all Israel whored after it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more. And the land had rest forty years in the days of Gideon. Jerubbaal, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had seventy sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he called his name Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash his father at Ophrah of the Ebezrites. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made baal Bereth their god. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jorab Baal, that is Gideon, in return for all the good that he had done to Israel. Chapter 9 Abimelech's Conspiracy Now Abimelech, the son of Jorab Baal, 
went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family, Say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all seventy of the sons of Jerubbaal rule over you, or that one rule over you? Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. And they gave him seventy pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Bereth, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubbaal, seventy men, on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbaal, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. When it was told to Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and cried aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Shall I leave my abundance, by which gods and men are honored, and go hold sway over the trees? And the trees said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit, and go hold sway over the trees? And the trees said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men, and go hold sway over the trees? And all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you dealt well with Jerubbaal and his house and have done to him as his deeds deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian, and you have risen up against my father's house this day and have killed his sons, seventy men on one stone, and have made Abimelech the son of his female servant king over the leaders of Shechem because he is your relative, if you then have acted in good faith and integrity with Jerubbaal and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo, and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beir and lived there because of Abimelech his brother. This concludes our reading from the Old Testament book of Judges. As we read through the Bible, we learn more about the instrumentality of those who are faithful in their obedience, trust, and availability to the revealed will of God. Gideon, is an ordinary farmer, a man of passions, fears, lusts, vindictiveness, and zeal. Despite his many sins, through his humble obedience and availability to the one who called him, Gideon becomes instrumental in delivering the Israelites from the oppression of the Midianites. The living God went to great lengths to encourage him, giving him signs, giving the enemy a dream, and assuring Gideon with words promising him victory. In Judges chapter 6, verses 17 to 21, and verses 36 to 40, and chapter 7, verses 9 to 15. 
the enemy, that is the Midianites and the Amalekites, had been warned of their overthrow by the Israelites in a dream one man had of a loaf of barley bread rolling into the camp and overturning and flattening their tent. A friend interpreted the dream, quote, This is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given Midian and all the camp into his hand. End quote. Ironically, there is no record that Gideon and his army of a mere three hundred had any swords at all. The sword of Gideon was the living word, the Lord God, his Savior. His weapons were not carnal. They were mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. What were their real weapons? Number one, their identification with the word of God by faith. Chapter 7, verse 16. The three hundred elected men were divided into three companies. According to the dream given to the enemy, they would come upon the Midianites and the Amalekites as one loaf. Chapter 7, verse 13. Gideon had been told that they would attack the enemy as one man. In chapter 6, verse 16, they were three units but acting as one, a holy echad, that is, a composite community of oneness, imaging the Trinity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17. Number two, their identification with the Holy Spirit. The dream given to the enemy was that Gideon's army was one barley loaf. The Feast of Pentecost is a celebration of the harvest of first fruits. The first harvest is barley. The giving of the Holy Spirit to the church occurred at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Barley is not esteemed as highly as wheat in the eyes of men, but here, in the divine economy, its worth is demonstrated due to its identification with the power of the Holy Spirit. Gideon did not look like much, but he was a man who was clothed from on high with the Holy Spirit. Judges chapter 6, verse 34. Number 3. Their brokenness. Each man was to hold empty pitchers with burning lights inside them. When given the signal, they were all to follow Gideon's example and break the vessel and reveal the light. The impact of each light through each man's broken vessel would appear from a distance to be the lights of an innumerable multitude, signaling to the enemy that they were surrounded by troops that outnumbered them. The Apostle Paul speaks of light shining through brokenness. Brokenness signifies the submission of our own wills to the will of the Lord. For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6-12 through 12. Fourthly, not only did they have the real weapon of their identification with the Word of God by faith, their identification with the Holy Spirit, and their brokenness, but they also had the word of their testimony. The torches were held in each man's left hand, while the trumpets were held in each man's right hand. Each man would blow the trumpet. From a distance, the enemy would perceive that each trumpet represented a full battalion of men coming against them. The trumpets speak to us of the heralding of the gospel of Christ, which announces the defeat of the enemy. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, 
Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. Fifthly, they had the real weapon of the obedience of their faith. This was the God-given strategy. They were to put their trust in the word of the Lord. They were to look to Gideon and do exactly what they saw Gideon do. Chapter 7, verse 17. Jesus had the same modus operandi. He only did what he saw or understood the Father was doing. In the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. This is the victory that overcomes the world, faith in Christ. 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Sixthly, there is the real weapon of the sword of the Spirit, which again is the Word of God. Gideon's army won the battle with no sword in hand. The enemy soldiers would turn on themselves and destroy each other with their own swords. It reminds us of Jesus' words to Pilate when Pilate asked if he was a king. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. John chapter 18, verse 36. This speaks of the otherworldliness of the believer's victory. The believer's weapon is the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians 6, verse 17. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We experience brokenness in our lives, so we are no longer going our own way, doing our own thing for our own glory. Our will is submitted to God's will. Our daily experiences of death to self our brokenness, become the means whereby the light of his life within us can shine and be multiplied. The effect will be the undoing of the works of the devil. Our trumpets cannot boast in anything other than Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. We do not hold on to the things of this world. We love not our Adamic life that was judged in Jesus' death for us on the cross. For us to live is Christ. Let us trumpet that message. Our obedience in holding fast to the word of God can be a sword for the Lord and for the other Gideons we are called to assemble with. Although Gideon is an example of how God can use ordinary sinners, such as ourselves, he is no role model. As mentioned before, Gideon is not a type here of the Savior. He is a picture of a recipient of God's grace through faith. You will notice the absence of any reference to the Lord leading Gideon in his further pursuit of the enemy. The Israelites wanted to make Gideon their ruler, their king. Gideon refused to rule and also pledged that his son, Jether, would not rule. But Gideon did request that each one give him a gold earring from the spoil they had taken from the Ishmaelites. Gideon made an ephod out of the gold, and the Israelites soon made it an object of worship. It proved to be a snare to Gideon and his family. In Judges chapter 8, verses 22 to 27. When good things are put in the place of the ultimate, and receive a greater allegiance from us than what we give to God, 
they become idols. What things are in danger of becoming idols in your life? Gideon's defeat of the Midianites brought forty years of peace. In contrast to the revelation he received when the Lord made himself known to Gideon as Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is peace, all humanly negotiated peace arrangements proved to be short-lived. Next in the book of Judges, we read about the fifth apostasy and the sixth judge, the reign of Abimelech, beginning in Judges chapter 8, verse 33. After Gideon's death, the Israelites returned to the worship of Baal. In this fifth cycle of deliverance, the judge raised up, Abimelech, was evil. Gideon was sexually promiscuous and had more than seventy sons by wives and concubines. Gideon's son by a slave girl, Abimelech, conspires with his mother's relatives at Shechem to rule over Israel and kills his seventy half-brothers with the exception of the youngest one, Jotham, who escaped. Jotham boldly proclaims a parable for the people of Shechem from Mount Gerizim, where God's promised blessings upon the obedient were once proclaimed. He calls them to obedience, saying, Listen to me, that God may listen to you. Chapter 9, verse 7. He then speaks this parable of the trees. The earth is the Lord's, and the Lord is the king over it. The trees, however, set out to have someone else rule over them. So they bowed down to inquire whether the olive tree, speaking of Gideon, should rule over them. The olive tree recognized that it was not created to wave over other trees, but to produce olives and thereby bring pleasure to God and man. The invitation then went to the fig tree, speaking of Jether, and the vine, other sons of Gideon. Each gave similar answers. The fig tree and the vine are national symbols of Israel. Having been refused by more worthy trees, the bramble, representing Abimelech, is now asked to rule. If you are truly anointing me to rule over you, the bramble says, come and take refuge in my shade. Chapter 9, verse 15. It should be obvious that a bramble is not suitable to produce protection or shade. The trees should know that it is impossible for a thorn bush or bramble to provide the leadership they need. They are warned that the most obvious result will be that the bramble will be the means of the destruction of the more worthy trees, including the tall cedars of Lebanon. Jotham boldly prophesies in Judges chapter 9, verses 19 and 20, If you have dealt in truth and integrity with Jeroboam and his house this day, rejoice in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech, and consume the men of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come out from the men of Shechem and from Beth Milo, and consume Abimelech. Jotham's warning came true when Abimelech, after reigning for three years, destroyed the city of Shechem, chapter 9, verse 45, scattering salt over its ruins and burning its tower, chapter 9, verses 46 to 49. Abimelech's skull is cracked by a woman at Thebes, and he asks his own armor-bearer to kill him. A period of forty-five years of quietness followed under the lesser judges of Tala and Jair. Now let's go to the New Testament reading as we come to the climax of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 23, verse 44, through chapter 24, verse 12. The Death of Jesus It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
and having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. Chapter 24 But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their heads to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them as an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. And this is the end of our reading from the New Testament, the Gospel according to Luke. Now let's take a moment to reflect upon this, the third account that we have of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The final three hours when Jesus was hanging on the cross, the whole land was shrouded in darkness. The light from the sun was gone. Suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary was torn in the middle from top to bottom. The perfect offering was being sacrificed so we who are sinners could stand in the perfect righteousness of Christ, the holiest of all. The reaction of the crowd at this point had changed to one of deep sorrow. Luke records that there was a specially known tomb belonging to Joseph of Arimathea where Jesus was buried. Luke records that his burial was witnessed. Chapter 24 begins with Luke's account of the events taking place on the morning of the third day when Jesus rose from the dead. The angels were witnesses of the resurrection and gave their report to the women who came to the tomb. The angels knew the words Jesus had spoken to them earlier in which he prophesied his death and resurrection. In Luke chapter 24, verse 7, When the women went back to tell the disciples what had happened, the disciples did not believe their report, but Peter and John ran to the tomb to discover it was empty and that Jesus' grave clothes had been left behind. This left Peter marveling. And we will continue to read 
Luke's account of the resurrection of Jesus tomorrow. Now let's go to the book of Psalms, Psalm 99, verses 1 through 9. As I have mentioned many times, the book of Psalms is the Bible's prayer book and song book. So here in Psalm 99, the psalmist sings of the holiness of the Lord. Psalm 99. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord, and he answered them. In the pillar of the cloud he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. O Lord, our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord our God, and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. So in Psalm 99, we have a picture of the mercy seat over the Ark of the Covenant between the cherubim as representing the throne of God. For the believer, the blood of Jesus turns the judgment seat into a mercy seat. The Lord reigns. Let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Throughout history, the Lord has proved to be faithful. The strength of the king loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. The Lord has shown his covenant people that he is forgiving, but he also disciplines them when they go wrong. Notice the threefold recognition of his holiness. In verse 3, let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. In verse 5, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. Holy is he. And then in verse 9, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill. For holy is the Lord our God. Now let's go to today's proverb. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 9. Fools mock at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance. The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. Today there are plenty of people who make light of sin, who mock sin, and they do so at their own peril. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment, we should therefore be eager to get rid of our sin. We also learn in Proverbs 14 verse 10 that there are joys and sorrows that cannot be shared with others. Nobody knows the trouble that I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. So don't let him be a stranger to you. He knows your sorrows and your joys. He knows you better than you know yourself. Let him be the glory and the lifter of your head today. Let's pray. Lord, your word is true. Jesus is risen just as he said. We pray that we will serve you this day in the power of his resurrection and not succumb to the cycles of failure as in the period of Judges. We serve a king who forever finished the work and defeated our foe. In him we are more than conquerors because his victory is secure. Help us to boldly proclaim his victory and to live it out in Jesus' name. Well, thank you for joining with us as we've been reading through the Bible. I hope this has been a time of encouragement to you and that you will join with us tomorrow as we continue our journey. 
And if you'd like to write to us, have any questions or comments, you can contact us by writing podcasts at newlife.org. That is podcasts at newlife.org. Until we meet again, shalom and may his peace abide with you.